2: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: Hej och välkomna till Dekonstruktiv Kritik. Jag heter Aron Flam. Förra veckan fick vi lära oss lite grann om andra kulturer och deras underbart udda sedvänjer. Jag har fått en del fina kommentarer och en hel del nya mecenater på Patreon. Det tackar vi för. Vi är i det här fallet jag och min producent Julia Scott. Och vi ser gärna att alla ni andra som lyssnar också går in och bidrar. Det är givetvis helt frivilligt att ge, liksom upp till er att bestämma hur mycket. Jag har sedan länge resinerat inför det faktum att jag numera är tiggare. Alternativet tänker jag hade varit så mycket värre För då hade jag varit tvungen att vara en säljare Som tiggare behöver jag inte ljuga för er Och jag har haft jobb som säljare Jag är inte bra på att sälja Jag utstrålar ju inte direkt glädje och pepp Däremot så utstrålar jag depression och misär Perfekt för en tiggare ju Så nu talar jag till ett dåliga samvete Snälla, ge mig era pengar I den här veckans avsnitt har jag samtalat med min vän och kollega från Los Angeles Yoshi Bayashi. Josh är en udda person. Även i en bransch där udda är normen sticker han ut. Jag träffade honom första gången med en annan utländsk stuppkomiker. Jason Rouse och tyckte genast att han var lite jobbig. Mest för att han nästan aldrig sa något. Han bara fanns där. Men så började jag trivas med hans tystnad och då öppnade han upp. Och sen åt han sig in i min själ. Josh är en person som har en obehaglig förmåga att alltid befinna sig strax bredvid händelsernas centrum. Så när han sa att han tänkte stanna förbi Sverige på sin trip runt Europa bad jag honom vara med och berätta om sitt senaste projekt. Att starta upp gatutidningen Illegal i San Francisco. Tidningen Illegal är från början en dansk idé. En gatutidning som hemlösa narkomaner kan sälja för att få pengar till knark. Ungefär som situation Stockholm. Fast försäljarna förutsätts vara ärliga. Tidningen vill väcka debatt om narkotikapolitik. Den handlar om droger och drogkultur, både det bra och det dåliga. När jag bläddrar igenom det första exet av den brittiska upplagan samsas en artikel om varför det är jättedåligt med metadron och att alla omedelbart borde sluta med det och gå över till ketamin istället av en person som uppenbarligen har en del erfarenhet av båda drogerna med en artikel om hur det var att för första gången internet internet-data och testa MDMA samtidigt av någon som förklarar att den aldrig testat droger förut eller internetdating heller för den delen. Idén bakom det hela är enkel: människor kommer att bruka och missbruka drager oavsett, så varför inte hjälpa dem att göra det på ett så säkert sätt som möjligt? Uh, you're a dear friend and colleague of mine from the United States, but originally or some sort of uh, uh, dirty, uh, lonely refugee child. Uh, to the United <laughs> States who arrived when you were so, almost 12 uh, uh, from Japan, even though you're not Japanese, you're half Korean, which made your situation in Japan was, kind of horrific. And there was also some kind of murder history with your family that uh, uh, they had to send you away, almost uh, like kill
1: Bill. Um, that's almost, uh, most of it is true. Uh, I, was, um, I was about 10 and. I'm hundred percent Korean, one hundred percent. One hundred percent Korean. I didn't realize I was a Korean citizen until I was seventeen when I went to uh, my first day of high school. I think the day before my high school for junior year, my aunt said, "Like, well, here, this is a name you'll be using from today, and it's a, one of those Korean names that I still don't know how to say it correctly, and um, it was a very confusing period
3: for I, me. I, I bet. No, I only mentioned the fact that you were uh, like a, a refugee to the United States yourself because uh, uh, we spent the first part of the day, you and me, but I, I went to Söder where you stay when you're here. and then We were trying to you, deliver
1: some toys I brought from Southern California and it's it's more of a headache. Deliver toys to whom? Well, I was hoping for a Syrian refugee camp. Or yeah, what? Why
3: do you want to give toys to, to Syrian refugee
1: children? Um, I had a friend from Denmark visiting me, Igo Gunderson, uh, who works for Illegal Magazine. Um, I'm sure we're going to talk more about it later on, but um, um, he's a big fan of hip-hop and uh, that culture. So I took him to various um, interesting places in Southern California. And the place that I went, Pico Union, is, of course, all Southern California is Latino, but it's a very heavily... Uh, Latin area and uh, some of the most dangerous Latin groups. The the gangs are from there, Mister Ching and things like that. So I took him there and I noticed I never noticed it before because when you walk versus when you drive in LA, when you drive you don't notice those in the close neighborhood because you don't actually spend time to get to know the area. But while we were walking, I was showing him the neighborhood. I went I noticed a couple of warehouse of um, toy shop. Now I'm too old to go into toy store. Looks like a pedophile uh, buying toys. You but still look like a pedophile, yes. Yoshi,
3: but uh, but not necessarily a pedophile going into a toy store.
1: Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I went in and I, I was shocked how cheap it was, and I thought, like, would it kill me to spend 40, 50 bucks to buy it for the holidays? Mm-hmm. And you see how tragic it is.
3: But you were meaning to take these toys
1: from you un- and just give 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 it to. Uh, Either ref, uh, Syrian refugees or unfortunate kids in London. I read Charles Dickens novels. But you
3: were yourself an unfortunate child. Well, that, that's so. A, you're biased, oh, uh, basically. Uh, you're on their side.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's. What am I going to do? I, I'm. I'm going to get a prostitute or gamble. Why not just spend fifty bucks and uh, drop it off? But what I I don't. I I guess I'm still a bit naive. Anytime you're trying to do something nice. People are more suspicious because that's not the nor- normal behavior. And well, when I told it, you, you yeah.
3: asked me, can you try to find like a refugee uh, uh, place where I
1: can drop off the toys?
3: And I've really tried. Yes. Uh, and it's. Well,
1: I keep hearing that Sweden is a very generous country to a point. It was, your country was second after Germany accepting refugees. Yes. So I thought, well, if number two, there must be a lot of refugees here. So well, how we, could took, we took in more refugees per capita than Germany did. Yes. And how difficult is it to just drop it out and give it to them? But it is evidently very difficult to do. Well,
3: I talked to some of the, uh, the NGOs that yeah. help with the situation, and they said, well, uh, we don't accept private donations because uh because then we will have to allocate resources uh to uh, disperse those gifts yeah to disperse instead instead of uh doing what's important right now which we already know what it is and uh, yeah so uh, when basically when you want to just drop out of nowhere to give toys to kids uh instead of harnessing that energy it gets lost yeah uh, and you're
1: just gravel in the machinery yeah yeah for some reason I guess maybe I shouldn't have been uh, s- surprised because the things that you hear about UN and sometimes those programs, you know, it's just just yeah, okay, well, almost comical in a way.
3: Uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a bit of money disappearing in the in the welcoming of refugees here in Sweden in the system. I mean, uh, a, a place to stay can cost upwards of forty thousand crowns for a person. Well, uh, for that matter, for, for the states
1: right. that is, which and, is an absurd amount of money. And I've been to Afghanistan in 2012 and 2013, and you meet many expats trying to do a wonderful job. And there are people like that. However, there are also vultures find opportunity in those places, create a find a job or create a job that basically not necessarily do any so-so any good. And they just create a job and a money opportunity for them too, you know. Um, anyway
3: so far you've failed to deliver toys to yes. needy children. <laughs> yes. That's what yeah yeah, yeah yeah. You were going to do it in England but you failed. And you were going to do it here in Sweden and I failed you. Yes. Yes, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, but we had a nice walk around with toys in our hands. And it, it is a beautiful city. Yeah. And I and was surprised to see the toys you bought because you bought like uh, muscular wrestlers with weapons that you could give to the boy children that, that you know... Uh, Perpetuate toys. the violence. Yes. Toys that looked exactly like the men who raped and sacked their village. <laughs> yes. Uh, and to the girls, you brought Barbie. Barbie those so impossible sexual ideals uh, that you try to project on children who has escaped sexual slavery. That's very yeah, nice. Yeah, Horrors in the, 101. Shape. Yeah. So
1: um, I completely failed. <laughs> Here is a funny thing that uh, I think and I think you're comic, and this is a gift of comedy if you have to be somewhat normal. Even with all this absurdity, I don't want to get too cynical either because then that sucks life either. So I think the comedy help us balance cynicism with idealism, I, I hope, because this is, a, this is still not going to stop me from doing something like that down the road. My dad used to tell me this story about there was a border, this big rock that they were trying to get rid of. stonemason person show up and bring this iron hammer, and it does it hundred times. On the hundredth times, it break the damn thing into pieces, and they could get rid of it. But it wasn't the hundredth time that did it. it. You know what I mean? It was the previous 99 times you're trying to get rid of the problem, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to just stop traveling because I had terrible incident or... I'm gonna stop doing trying to do something good simply because the first 99 times it prevent me from making it happen. You know what I'm saying here? Yes, I think so. Or constant ridicule the way I talk. It's not gonna stop me from doing what I want to do. You know? What do you mean, constant ridicule about the way? I'm not not you, um, but in states, I've had conversation with people. It's usually people that have anything to say. They don't have anything to say but they would try to have conversation with you by ridiculing the way I talk, you know. Um, because you sound a tiny, teeny
3: bit Asian.
1: Yeah, or it's a part of I think, when you... You know, I, I think you're self-aware, aware enough that there's many immigrants to the United States, um, especially from the Soviet Union, I remember in the 80s, these are like people with PhD in physicists. Yeah. Physics, chemistry, lawyers... Because they couldn't speak English, some Americans were dismissive of them. But when you spend time and get to know them, these are brilliant people that deserve to be respected. Yeah. And, and uh, those ridicule will not prevent me from talking in public. That I'm confident of, you know. And uh, we live in a just wonderful era that uh, somebody with my modest income, I could still travel the world and meet and talk to people that I want to. That, that you don't want to talk to. <laughs> you don't want to keep talking to people that, that you agreed, you know. Like people that you disagreed, you could still learn something. You know, they might surprise you.
3: No, I, I talk to people I disagree with all the time. All the time, you're, yeah, Yes, yeah. you're staying with one of them, Adil <laughs> <fuck> you. Uh, <laughs> yes. so, uh, so what do you do nowadays? So this trip
1: you're coming to, you've been to England. I, I left the United States December 29th. And I'm, uh, I'm I'm going home tomorrow, uh, which is a day before Super Bowl, which is America's real true national holiday. So I want to go see that in San Francisco, Santa Clara. So I'm going back tomorrow. Uh, but uh, this trip, I've been to eleven different countries, and uh, really, which ones? Um, let's see, I went to UK, Northern Ireland, Ireland, uh, Sweden, Denmark, Northern Ireland. Yeah, Belfast. Uh, no,
3: I call it Western England.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I didn't know you are a Protestant. Um, let's see, where, where else did I go? Uh, Germany, Netherlands, France, Belgium, uh, Morocco, UAE. So that's like a 11 or 12, I think. Yeah. In about 40 days. How was the United Arab Emir- Emirates now? It was, it was fascinating because the first two time I went, I was traveling to Afghanistan. I only had layover for 10 to 14 hours each way. And my friend Sam Hosseini, uh, just incredible guy, doing amazing work in Afghanistan, uh, has a home there. And um, it was a superficial visit. But last time, I was there for three days because my friend Russell Peters was performing. Uh, the, the power in of Afghanistan? Pa- uh, Dubai. In Dubai. That makes more sense. And... Um, it was great because I, I did several big podcasts, so uh, it's always surprising when I meet, uh, I don't want to say fan, that's a bit of a strong, but people who are um, interested in meeting me. And few few talents I have, I'm pretty good at networking and meeting people that lead into other interesting experience, you know. So my friend Warren Chan and uh, his friend Jay uh, Kim, they're Americans living in Dubai, uh, they were very uh, incredible, and uh, they showed me around Dubai, and I made pretty good contacts through them. So I'd I like to go back. It's a very, really fascinating place. I never knew that citizens are only 15 to 20% of the population. The rest of it is foreigners. Different level of uh, quality of life they have. They, they could be Filipino, Pakistani, East Indian, rough, yeah, or Korean-American, entrepreneur like Warren who lives very well. I even, they, he even took me to a North Korean restaurant which is owned and operated by government Pyongyang. A, a, a
3: North Korean
1: restaurant. I, I've never been to one. And what did you have to eat at this place? Uh, I know there's a lot of joke about not yeah, having Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's the
3: natural uh, s- uh, joke, isn't it? That, that, what did they serve? Made, yeah.
1: Starvation? Yeah. The food was excellent but what they do is a uh, little after 8 p.m., they have this live musical show by these beautiful North Korean girls who happen to be for, uh, serving food a few minutes before that. Uh, they're all smile, beautiful girls, and nothing but a smile. Of course, they're crying inside, of course, but um, and they do this crazy, almost like propaganda musical show. <laughs> At one point, they were actually singing Japanese song, which was confusing to me because they're still enemies, you know, but... Yeah. Um, uh, I think it has something to do with because most of the customers were Japanese. They're really fascinated by it, mm-hmm. and um, Japanese have such a short memory when it comes to the terrible things that they did during World War II, and a high percentage of Americans that did them. But um, I don't uh,
3: think their memory is short. I just think they were they think they were right. Yes, <laughs> but,
1: and, but 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 I cherish those w- wonderful. Sometimes ter- terrifying, sometimes bizarre experience when you travel. And um, my dad, obviously ethnic Korean growing up in Japan, was humiliated by the system, uh, had very little opportunity to travel. And my dad was one of those weird guys that actually read many of the Western civilization books, you know. Like, it's so bizarre to look back now that um, here's my dad reading books by Rousseau or Voltaire and uh, Nietzsche and Schopenhauer, and had this desire to go to overseas to Europe, you know, the Western civilization. And um, and you get to do that. You're I get to do that now, yeah. Li- I didn't,
3: ling- living out
1: your father's dream. Yeah, it's, um, I feel bad for most Americans that they wait until they retire and they plan to travel after yeah. retiring. But quite often they're too old to enjoy it. Or very sad situation where one of their spouses is dead by the time they were planning to travel. You know? yeah. So I have a, a opposite phobia. I'm always afraid if I don't travel now, I'll never travel. You know, I was illegal for so long. But will you
3: have any money for retirement?
1: I, no, I won't. No.
3: <laughs> no at all. Nothing at all. So what do you do when you go home now? You're going to watch the Super Bowl, and then what, what's next on the agenda for Yoshi career-wise? Uh,
1: tomorrow, my friend Hyung and Susan Cho will pick me up, and uh, I'm helping with their project. It's called Page Thirty dot com. They have a fashion business, and uh, I don't know anything. Even, I don't I, obviously I don't know how to dress well, but I, I read so much that I know a little bit of the fashion business. So I'm, I've been assisting her. She turned around to help me with her sister, who works for Google, and her boyfriend works for Facebook. So they're going to help me promoting hopefully Legal Magazine in San Francisco. In six months, and um, so you're gonna work for illegal now. I don't want to say at work because that implies they're gonna pay me. I don't think they have money to do that, but I'm gonna help them anyway. And um, I'm very really good at. Parlay. And what is illegal magazine? Illegal magazine was started by a guy named Michael Olson, Danish gentleman, and a friend of mine. And uh, years ago, when he was a young person, um, he was doing Sancho entrepreneurship in Romania. He was basically helping. Social entrepreneurship. Which sounds oxymoron, but um, he was helping uh, Romanian homeless kids in Romania, and uh, he did a really good job helping those kids. When he returned to Denmark, if I remember about 10 years ago, right outside of his apartment, he noticed that uh, there was many used syringes every morning, and uh, he was puzzled by it, and uh, he started talking to drug addicts. Not in an accusatory tone, but he was trying to understand why they do what they do. Because not, he doesn't have an addictive personality. And he, they basically told him that they don't have a very safe way to do it. Uh, many of the, the train stations have bathroom, but they put those black light bulbs so you can't see your um, veins. veins. So these are... Decent people with addiction problem, a medical problem, they're not bad people. They are desperate, so they find a place that's uh, right in front of the apartment Interest in inject heroin. So he started this program. and uh, A program to help them. Help them. It's called Illegal Magazines. Basically, articles are written by addicts, former addicts, people are interested in drug culture, writing articles, artists volunteer to do artwork, photographers, And uh, these magazines are sold by addicts in the streets of Copenhagen and they keep 40% of proceeds and they use that money to buy drugs so they don't have to prostitute themselves or commit crime. So
3: basically it's a big issue uh, type magazine. We have Situation Stockholm here in in Stockholm and Faktum in the rest of the country.
1: Is it like a homeless magazine? Is that what it
3: is? Yeah. Yeah. Where they take... Uh, the proceeds uh, can go to food and shelter but in this case illegal magazine
1: is the same idea for drug drug use yes so it's more honest in a way yeah and they're incredibly honest because they will tell them like I I need to sell this magazine because I would like to buy some cocaine today or heroin or weed or prescription drugs and so on and another innovation that Michael used to do he used to drive his van which has illegal rent inside of it Uh, With the assistant of volunteer doctor uh, or nurse, they used to pick up uh, addicts and allow them to inject heroin or whatever drug they want to do in the back of the van. So if they OD, there's already medical staff helping them. Now, initially, this program annoyed the city government uh, because they have so many different... But, you know, in
3: Denmark, they already have a program for... uh uh, heroin addicts that they can go and get free heroin from the state and a safe environment to take it in.
1: I think he might have been doing it where I, I don't know the situation. My understanding was uh, maybe they was too busy or uh, wasn't widely available back then but when he was doing it uh, Compared to Sweden, Denmark
3: is way ahead, when it, comes way ahead to, yes. when it comes to harm reduction policy. Sweden is a horrid example of uh, drug repression in uh, Europe
1: I, I, I talked about that with Michael Olsen and Mr. Jorgen who is the president of uh, Danish Drug Usage Union and the conclusion that we made and I could be wrong we could be wrong but we felt like Sweden for whatever reason like to have a very good relationship with the United States that they take hard line of a drug policy of USA DEA whereas Denmark they seem more sensible when it comes to drug policies Portable, you're, you're
3: partly right Uh, I mean, uh, from the start, this has uh, partly to do with uh, uh, being on good foot with the United States Mm -hmm. drug policy. But uh, when it comes to Sweden, you know, Swedes uh, are very special in a way that they can take an idea that isn't a real problem in their country and they can turn it into a national religion.
1: Yes. And that's what they did with the drug policy, basically. Because when you don't have a religion, like, Judeo-Christianity Yes, as you do your, your country then, then
3: it becomes you know social democracy yeah. or, or the drug war or uh, uh, radical feminism or uh, yeah anti-immigration pro-immigration sure doesn't really matter I'm, so Illegal Magazine uh, it's articles about how to take drugs safely hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film If only in theaters May 17th Do you want to tell people the big news
1: That, but they also put articles that when people hate drug users, they're trying to be fair about it too. Because one thing you don't want to do is uh, constantly promoting the idea that that your readers agreed on. They do sometimes put stuff that uh, against drug policy. You want to give balanced view of the drug use, you know what I mean? It's very
3: hard to do considering that all the me- mainstream media... Uh, is not giving a very balanced view, yeah. do you think? Well, in the United States, it might be different nowadays. But here in Sweden, it's uh, uh, still very much a media silence. And if you read anything about drugs, it's mostly that drugs are horrible, they yeah. will kill you. Uh,
1: even if it's just a toque of marijuana. But, but let me finish about the, the van thing. So uh, it works so well. Eventually, even the city of Copenhagen, I have to admit, it really works. So instead of acknowledging what Michael Olson has done for the city of Copenhagen, they just implement the same program for the city and just copied it. So now they have the white vans where you can inject. I, I don't know if they still have it or not, but uh, it was interesting because I went to Michael Olsen's office and we had a meeting yesterday and literally, maybe a block or two blocks away, they're building like thirty million dollar medical facility where you can you inject drugs now. They just pulled the jujitsu on Michael uh, to cop steal that program. Uh, but that's okay, isn't it? Yeah, and he doesn't care. That's no. the thing. He doesn't care because all he wants to do is make change. A better society for his city, you know. But I, I find it ironic that uh, it's the same kind of thing that uh, Clinton used to drive Republicans. He, he, he used to take idea that Republican had and take it away. Now Republicans are just angry because they can't go against Clinton anymore because they're yeah. following policy that they were trying to promote. For example, welfare reform and NAFTA. Of course, Clinton pulled their political jujitsu and take it away. Well, Clinton's attitude was like, well you can't be angry now. I'm 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 implementing your idea yeah. and all he's doing is upsetting his own party. But uh that is a very smart call calculating politic on part of the Clinton. uh
3: Clinton. illegal it's still sold in Denmark?
1: Yes. And they implement the same program to London, it's doing well. Uh they tried to do it in Berlin and it, it fell there was a problem in Berlin. Why? <laughs> My understanding that there's different groups that have interest in that area and they didn't want to give up the power issues, you know? So Fair
3: enough. Uh, and and you're going to try and get it started in San Francisco?
1: Yes, I was helping uh, one of the representatives, um, Igo Gunderson, and we were worried that we didn't want to repeat the same thing in Berlin, but that wasn't the case. In fact, they were very supportive of that in San Francisco slash Bay Area. So uh, we did a lot of prep work the last three, four months, and I did it... Uh, so what would
3: you say is the big, biggest uh, problem use in uh, the San Francisco area? Is it crack, or is it heroin, or is it coke, or is it...
1: I, don't, I think those drugs are the superficial things that people assume is the case, but I think the biggest one is those legal prescribed drugs, painkillers. Really? Yes, I think that's a, that's a, I think that's a game changer for several reasons. The reason why heroin are so popular because heroin is way cheaper opiate compared to say Vicodin, the OxyContin, the You know, like New York City, I heard like they're like ten to fifteen dollars a pop, whereas heroin is way cheaper, and I think that's why. Um
3: so what you're telling me is that the state controlled market.
1: Uh, can't compete because it's too expensive with the black market. It's very expensive, and the reason why opiate is changing, in my opinion, is going to change next uh, five to ten years. Because you know as well as I do, and this is a terrible thing to say, but this is just the reality. When you see group of minority, primarily Latino and especially black kids, getting killed in the inner city for either overdose or getting killed for drug trade nobody cares a lot of people do lip service that they that they, they seem to care but really what people say versus what they do is completely different now when you start seeing middle class white kids or upper middle class white kids getting killed for drug trade or especially when they're buying overdosing you know goddamn well there's going to be changes because those white parents are not going to watch and not do anything about it and washington dc they 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 listen to white parents complaining more so because they actually vote Yeah. versus when black people complain and scream and yell. By the way, you know why black people are loud? No. Because that is the only way people are actually going to listen to them quite often. That's uh,
3: racist, Joshi.
1: Well, that's what black people say too. You know, <laughs> believe me. Um, it's funny because, you know, when I used to live here two years ago, um, when the... When the white suites tell me, don't go to this uh, bus stop or tr- tr- don't get in this uh, subway exit because those, they're dangerous. I've been to all those places. Yeah, And they're not dangerous at all, for God's sake. I'm from the States. And when I meet black kids in those areas, they're really nice, well-educated, speak three or four languages. They tr- try to dress like American you blacks. You mean here in Sweden? Yeah, they try to dress like a black Americans. They're nothing like a Black American. you know what I mean? Like I'm the Black guy in those neighborhoods, you know what I mean? Yes. Like I've lived in those neighborhoods, but but I I speak. No, you I, I I could say racist things, but like I'm telling mostly because I think honestly what I'm saying is a lot of it is actually really true. So you just want white middle class problematic uh, children to
3: sell your magazine? You don't? You're not going to let Latinos or Blacks? Sell oh it. no, they, I want I want. I'm neighbor... joking with I mean, you, yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Of course, I know you're joking. Um. But only only times when real change is going to happen is when when black, white kids start getting hurt. Honestly, you know, because the politicians react to incentives, and those people vote and donate money and time and effort. You know, so you hear these stories, even like places like Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket, which is a very exclusive places near I don't know hour and a half away from Boston. When you hear when you start hearing major problem with those opiates in that part yeah Midwest in the south and west coast you name it it's a problem that people are going to start realizing they have to deal with this as medical issue and um, we have this fucking medieval attitude about this you know like they would have just burned those people it's a medical you don't put people in prison for having cancer why can't you just accept for what it is we're supposed to be mad of science Addiction is a real science, for God's sake, you know? So, I love. So, how is uh, publishing? I mean, uh, illegal in Denmark, they have articles about how to take drugs safely, street drugs, basically. But also, there's been many cases of people who are having problem uh, drug issues. And I forgot her name. In England, this lady would start selling illegal magazines, stuff, save enough money, having in her own place, won her custody back of her kids. Yes, this is one out of a million stories, I guess, but it, it, it definitely helped people like that. And we're also trying to change image. Like, if you, if you, if you happen to be one of those lucky people that uh, has no contact with the people with addiction issues or family members, you're very lucky. People just assume these are monsters. Yeah. And the magazines, if you read them, they are personal stories, basically. Personal stories. At that, that but,
3: but what is the difference between this and... I mean, in Sweden, we have a forum online called yeah. Flashback. And we have discussion threads, and there's a, one thread called Trip Reports, where yeah. people write down their trip reports. Is it like that?
1: Is that what illegal is going to be, just trip reports? I, I, I think that's what they're uh, doing, but um, uh, although I do not have a very good uh, technical skills, I'm very good at networking and putting myself in this environment, meeting the right people. And I love connecting person A with the person B that that's mutually beneficial. And I, I love doing that. So uh, what I'm trying to do is, prior to that little Syrian boy drowning and dying and finding the body in the beach. Alan Kurdi. Yes, there was many articles and stories about these just terrible things happening to refugees. Once again, when you see it, When you hear a personal story, when you hear desperation from one of the parents talking about it, it really grabs you. So with illegal magazine, having a tangible magazine story, people want to donate money, and they also want to get something for it. But what I would add, and I think I convinced Michael Olson that there's got to be video clips of you them talking to people, how these people live. How did he become a drug addict? Because actually seeing it, hearing it, have a visceral reaction that uh, wonderful as magazines, tangible as they're wonderful as it is, seeing it really does grab you because just like pornography, you know what I mean? Like we react more when you see things. And I think that's the advantage that the, the brilliance of Shane Smith Vice realized 25 years ago. So, with uh, some of the money to turn into some sort of TV channel yeah and, and it's a it's an empire now yes. now uh, I'm basically copying the playbook to uh, hopefully we have enough budget to interview people film things edit and release it and I think if, if, you know I, I did my friend Tom Segura and Christian Przinski's podcast very popular it's always the top 20 comedy podcast uh, we have probably 35 volunteers from one podcast you know and uh, thank you very much, all the artists. And But now we wanted uh, volunteers for people who are good at raising money, people who are good at programming, people who are good at filming and editing. Basically, I'm committing jihad on war on drugs, you know, because... Um, You're proclaiming a war on the war on drugs. Because American government, ironically, is addicted to drug war. They're absolutely addicted because it, it, uh, it's a money. It creates a lot of money and power for them, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's a very very sad situation. And... I'm sure you know this. The drug war basically started with President Nixon's administration because he had so many enemies, and what many of those enemies had one thing in common: they were young, liberal, white people and minorities. And what what major thing that they had a common among them, which was drug. So, Department uh, Drug Enforcement, they, you know, they went after those Nixon's enemy by through drugs and. Uh, And they created this monster for the last 40-plus years, and um, many of those people now regret it. You know, George Shultz, who worked for, Ronald Reagan, uh, worked for Herbert Institute for um, Stanford University, he's completely against it. He's no liberal drug-using person. William Buckley Jr., the father of conservatism when he was alive, against the drug war, and believe me, he's not for drugs at all. Minus alcohol, obviously. But he understood that it's a
3: basic human trait. Not, everyone, uh, not everyone, but in every generation, a portion of the population will become addicted to a substance yes. or uh, some sort of enjoyment. Uh, what most people use moderately as enjoyment or, or relaxation, Sure. some people will come
1: addicted to and start to abuse. Yes. yes. And, um, and, and these people won't go away. Yeah, and 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 uh, when F. Buckley Jr. was a fan of alcohol and and uh, tobacco, which was sanctioned by the government. They make money out of it. It just there's a level of hypocrisy here, sure. a level of racism against
3: uh, what you would call uh, the substances uh, of other cultures. Sure, if you are uh, for instance, from an alcohol culture or a tobacco culture, you tend to accept those drugs. You are you want to change like the image of people who become addicted to drugs.
1: Yes, I I, I think um,
3: so. We don't view them as disgusting failures of our species, but
1: rather as sick people who might need help. I I think they need help medical wise, but I also think I don't want to say propaganda, but I think there's uh, there's there's a need for like a bit of a PR offense. I think because I think. Um, People who are functionally drug users, they don't have incentive going publicly and saying, hey, I, I'm a CEO of this company. My shareholders are very happy. I treat my employees very uh, well. Uh, but they can't publicly say, I'm a functional heroin addict. Because there's a culture of shame. Shame. And it's, it, it will hurt their career. So only representative they have is so-called fuck-up addict in the street. But I, I just think, uh, I don't think people are being honest about that. So... I think Dog Sanhope uh, once said uh, the only people who
3: are against drugs are people who don't do drugs and never have and people who are
1: really bad at doing drugs.
3: Yes. That is the core of this problem
1: that yes. you're trying to solve. And also, it's also intellectual vanity because I always wonder, like, why does these horrible things happen over and over? Why does famine happen? It just there's all these kinds of world problem. I just are interesting... drugs even though I am definitely not a drug person at all no you don't take drugs at all do you I mean I'm addicted to sugar and salt that is extent of my drug use yes
3: no 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 it's not the extent but you don't take illegal drugs it's just not my things I I, I mean you
1: drink coffee
3: coffee yes you like coffee yes because I always have to order coffee for you yes yes and then you participate
1: in legal medical experiments yes because I'm addicted to money, and uh, that's that's what um, I would like to know. These confounding, confusing drug policies of Sweden. I'm I'm interested in that.
3: Yeah, well, basically, the United States wanted to limit the drug trade internationally, so the, they went via the UN. Uh, it was one American doctor, and he was basically. Uh, worried about the uh, coca leaf chewing of uh, Native Americans in South America. And right. He said, uh, basically, he said that you can see uh, that uh, they're, they're already a degenerative uh, race, yeah. an inferior race. Uh, and the coca leaves uh, is making making them even more in fear if we are to have any hope of dragging these barbaric tribes into the light of civilization, right. we need to get rid of the use of cocaine right. Uh, or the chewing of the coca leaf, which basically uh, the American Indians or, I mean, Native Americans uh, only chewed because it helps against height sickness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the low level of oxygen in the air. Yeah. And also it uh, dampens the feelings of hunger when you're starving. Right. And it makes you uh, a bit more alert so you can carry things over mountain tops, which they really needed anyway. So, so they, had, they had economic reasons as yeah. well. But they used this Doctor Internationally. Uh, uh, to promote uh, international right. drug laws. So we had this doctor in Sweden called Nils Bejeroth and uh, basically his hypothesis without any science to back it up was that uh, drugs are like a cancer on society if if a person uh, uses drugs, it will spread from him to other people. Right. Uh, So there was no science to back this up, but uh, the Swedish government and the Swedish police and the Swedish judiciary system, they uh, believed in this policy and they adopted it without questioning it in the least. And Nils Bayer also said, if we are to make Sweden a completely drug-free society, because they wanted like... Zero tolerance for drugs in society. If we're to make Sweden a drug-free society, everyone needs to be on board. Yes. The media needs to be on board. The school system needs to be on board. The medical system needs to be on board. The scientific right. system needs to be on board. And so everyone started marching in the same direction. A massive propaganda, offensive uh, against drugs. And this has been going on for years. And they took help with... uh, The the judiciary system started helping, or not really helping in any way, actually, but uh, helping the effort by uh, making it illegal to have drugs in your system. So Swedish police can actually uh, stop you on the street uh, for... Uh, suspicion of being uh, high High. on drugs and they can take you in, they can test your blood. If they're right, if if they find anything, you get convicted
1: for drug use. Interesting enough because UAE and and, and some of those Middle Eastern countries, if they suspect that you're drug users, they can't take you out of the lineup when you land, take your blood. And if you happen to be a comedian thinking, I'm going to have last puff before my trip to Middle East, if they find marijuana in your blood, in their eyes you brought drugs to your their countries yep. and you'll be severely punished for that so
3: yeah sweden uh, has uh, basically the same, same policy. thing yeah, yeah. so uh, it's us and the united arab emirates that's a comforting thought isn't it so uh, that's uh, what we did in Sweden, and uh, that's been going on since. And it's been a huge fight. And I mean, if you compare it to Denmark, who has a, a much larger harm reduction strategy, and also Norway and Finland have a more common sense strategy. But Swedes, no one is suggests. But Swedes took this because Swedes are fond of utopias. Yes, you know, and uh, a drug-free society is a utopia. It's yeah. a utopian idea, and. Also, I think the drug problem in Sweden, it probably wasn't that big. We had a lot of people taking amphetamines for a while. And we had a time in the, I think, 60s where amphetamine was legal, basically. And today, these people get their amphetamine from the government. Right. We call it ADHD, and the government has started competing with the private market, the private sector. Um, Because this problem isn't going away. People aren't becoming drug-free. I mean, it's a nice idea, the idea of a drug-free, utopian Sweden. uh, But it has nothing to do with reality. So this is another case of Sweden uh, trying to take ideal policies and turning them into real policies.
1: Right, which is a a a a nightmare.
3: With a detrimental effect. Sweden has the highest uh, number of uh, drug-related deaths in the European Union because of these policies because in Sweden you can't seek help because if you're a drug user it's already you're already a criminal so first you have to be convicted before you can get help right yeah yeah so uh we it took us Like decades to get uh, syringe exchange programs. It started. We had a syringe exchange uh, program. Sorry, that's a Freudian slip. Program in Malmo because it's close to Denmark, and it it was hugely successful. Yes, Uh, but it was hell trying to get it implemented in Gothenburg and Stockholm. And in Stockholm, it got implemented first after we had an HIV epidemic uh, among. uh, heroin users uh, yes uh, injecting heroin yeah. users here uh, who killed a lot of people and these people's lives could have been saved if we had had saner drug policies yes so basically through willful ignorance of hard science we killed a bunch of people yeah and we still do
1: whenever people have a stance against drugs or oh, uh, uh, other social ills just ask yourself what kind of person are you are you the kind of person to take a position because you're trying to make yourself feel good or look good in public? But forget about that for a second. got to ask, whatever the position you take, are you making the situation better or worse? And if you're making it worse simply because you want to create this facade that you're doing the right thing, yes, because it's stop easy, doing that. You know, It's easy to look good by condemning something
3: that's bad. Yeah. But it's harder to be good by trying to mitigate what is bad. We are still here in Sweden on trying to look good by condemning what's bad. Yeah. And thus creating this culture of shame and also a legal environment where, where it gets really, really hard for people with substance abuse problems to seek help and get out of
1: the problem. Right. Of course. I I prefer no one use drugs. But that's because not realistic. Because you don't use drugs. No, I, I'm not... I'm. I'm I never understood like people get like big joy out of it. It just never worked for me, you know, acid, marijuana, cocaine. And also when I see kids using drugs, I wonder sometimes perhaps they grow up in an environment that it's not very easy to talk about those subject matters and they're dealing with stress, but may perhaps even chemical imbalance. So they're trying all kinds of different drugs, trying to be, quote unquote, normal, you know, yeah. You know, I, I wish I had a luxury to have individually cases like, why are you using drug? Maybe we could help you. You know, alternative. But um, it's just as uh, life is difficult, and sometimes people are trying to deal with it, and this is one way to deal with it. Just because I don't have to deal with it that way, that doesn't mean I I, sh- I shouldn't have empathy for those people. You know? No, I might deal with it differently. I I might take a long walk or read a book. I don't know. People deal with different situation differently but um, I'm glad uh, I met those guys in uh, Denmark I I I would continue like to work and help because you know I was friend with Mitch Hepberg uh, one of the greatest stand up comedians of all time in English world language world and um, drug addiction problem and yeah what happened to that guy 2005 he passed away March of 2005 so it's been 2003 2005. Really? 11 years ago, this March or April.
3: Uh, I was being sarcastic. I, knew, oh, I, I I know he
1: he's dead, and I uh, it was a heroin overdose, right? I keep hearing the word heart condition, and I'm sure he had it, but I also have to be honest. Like I love Mitch, but he loved using drugs. Yeah, well, uh,
3: technically Whitney Houston died of heart failure too, but that's right, what happens. The complication you, of drug use. If if, if you uh, boil yourself while high on
1: coke. Yes. Yeah. And, and last year, a uh, brilliant writer, uh, Harris Whittles, passed away. He was a very big comedy writer. Uh, Rough Park and Recreation is by, by... Oh, can he, I can't even... I could never say that show, right? A um, bunch of different shows he was working on. But he, he was just a brilliant writer. Died early 30s last year. And I think a couple of days before he passed away, on the podcast, he said he's not doing drugs, I think, if I remember right. And uh, he died from, um, if I remember right, heroin overdose. So... So maybe he uh, stopped. He, a, for, he, he
3: stopped for a while. He started again. The dose was too high because he was trying to go on the same dose that he quit from, and then his heart couldn't take it and he died.
1: I don't know exactly the circumstance. It could be that he might bought something that was too strong, and that's another problem when you legalize drug. You don't know exactly what you're buying. Yeah. Unless you're like chemist or something. Unless you're Walter White. I don't know. How would you know what's in it no, until you, don't. you take it? You don't. And um,
3: So there are some benefits to a regulated market as well, at least if you're interested so. in saving lives. Yeah.
1: You know, because I do this medical testing, which, which is a very interesting subculture. Every time I do it, I have to read between 50 to 70 pages of legal documentation to tell me every possible scenario where something could go wrong. My compensation, what I have to do, what's the drug for. They have to inform you because there was many years of uh, unethical uh, medical abuse, uh, not just by Nazi Germany or notorious Japanese medical team in um, uh, Manchuria in China. Uh, American government used to do terrible things. The Tuskegee Airmen who were injected with uh, syphilis by U.S. government, they were never told what was going on. Um, they've been doing these terrible things. So uh, even as early as 20 years ago, um, Eli Lilly grabbed a bunch of homeless people in Indianapolis and uh, you know w- didn't notify exactly what kind of drugs they were using them. Um, they compensate them, but there's a pretty heavy ethical mechanism to try to protect people.
3: So you get to read these documents I be- have to read before, before you participate in the experiments. How many experiments have you done now?
1: At... Oh, my God. At this point, probably maybe between 12 to 15.
3: You're sacrificing your body for the service of humanity, and I salute you, Yoshi Obayashi.
1: Uh, that's another way of saying, uh, once again, I'm addicted to money. So...
3: <laughs> yes, but you've got to be paid a lot to participate then in these studies.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting subculture, and what made me appreciate is I really do have a lot of appreciation of going through it, people in medical staff, because what, just... What an incredible group of people, you know, doctors and nurses. But also, uh, there's a lot of free time because quite often when you take these drugs, you have to stay in medical lab uh, yeah. hours and, and weeks at a time, so you know. One of the longest one I did was 28 days. What because I, like-
3: I noticed that your joints seem to get, be getting stiffer. And I think maybe there's some clause in one of these contracts where well, you I have can- another
1: um, plastic uh, pants underneath, so it's kind of hard for me to move my jeans. But, okay. Um, this is some
3: type of weird fetish you've picked up where you're... No, it's cold
1: here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people keep saying, why don't you get a job, whatever. But I, 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 the subculture is really interesting to me. I love the dr- drug company from different point of view. I love meeting the medical staff, and I have a lot of medical questions for them. But I have so much free time, so I've been picking up a lot of medical knowledge because I go through KhanAcademy.com. They have a lot of medical video that you can watch. It's interesting I could ask a lot of questions. Uh, Ironically, I'm more healthier than my friends because I do this for a living. Uh, In addition to make money on stand-up and other projects I do on the side, uh, I learn more about my body, um, and I'm healthier than ever. And um, it gives me opportunity to travel overseas, which I, that is my true addiction out of anything. Traveling overseas, meeting people. Uh, and I don't necessarily have to even go touristy places. When so I what visit. you think
3: is that we need to abolish the war on drugs and start a war on travel because people abuse it, like yourselves, <laughs> get into heavily abusive relationships with traveling around the world.
1: I think... Uh, very funny, by the way. Uh <laughs> I I consider myself a poor man's um, ambassador to the world for America. And I like meeting diff- people from different backgrounds. And I like doing even ordinary things like going to grocery store and buying stuff because these are the people I'm never going to see again. But it's just nice to see how regular people live in different parts of the world. So I don't have to go Eiffel Tower when I'm visiting Paris. I'd rather go places that tourists don't go and see how those regular people live. It's more interesting that way. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said that if you really want to understand people, you go into their kitchen, you see a giant pot, put your thumb in there and just grab whatever the food is in there and taste it because you learn more people by the food they eat, that just the regular things that they do is more revealing, in my opinion. So even Morocco, half of the time, i vented to all those places that you're supposed to go. But I just went to like, on purpose, I get lost just walking in just a regular neighborhood with regular average people living. It's very uh, enjoyable seeing how people live, you know. That's weird. My favorite Thomas Jefferson quote is, uh, no.
3: He <laughs> said that a lot. <laughs> just the word no. No. Yeah. I also quote Einstein saying no quite a lot uh so anyway so now uh do you have a medical experiment lined up for you when you
1: get back uh tonight i have to call uh several different companies and see my friend texts me and say he just applied for one there might be another one for me so i'm gonna call them tonight because of the time difference find out uh, and i'm leaving tomorrow morning early saturday morning i'll get there saturday afternoon in san francisco watch the super bowl right by the stadium go back Monday and have another two podcasts to do Monday and, and, and uh, start doing stand-up uh, medical lab, and I got to start working on uh, recruiting people and writing that piece for Illegal Magazine. But I have an interest and I'm really interested in this, the clash of uh, Western civilization, I guess. I'm really, although I'm not religious, Muslim people are really interesting. That culture is really interesting to me. Um, I would like to plan another trip.
3: Yeah, you told me that you wanted to go to Egypt, even though
1: I tried to deter you. It, it could be Egypt or Lebanon. I, I'd be interested in going to Algeria, but I don't know if I could get in. There is an island, which is a territory of Iran, but you could go there without a visa. That's the only place in Iran you could go without a visa, and you, it's a boat ride from Dubai, if I remember right. I would like to go Oman or Kuwait, because my friend live in Dubai, and gas is cheap. They could rent a car and go to those places. Um, this year, I would like to go... Mexico City, because my friend Sarah Jean, who works in Afghanistan, her boyfriend is a uh, pulitzer winning New York time writer, and he's reporting on Mexico. So I like to visit Mexico City too. I, I, I'm older, but my curiosity is even bigger than when I was younger, you know, yeah, just, I I'm can not, tell i'm just I'm just curious, like like even the things I'm not interested, like if you're interested in something that I'm not interested, but you're interested in it. Well, I'm, I'm I'm curious about it now, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I know, I've known you for quite a few years now. How many years have we known each other? At least three and a half, four years.
3: No more. Is that right? Yeah. No, I, I think it's seven or eight years by now. Has it been that long? Yeah. And you haven't gotten a single gray hair, and my hair has turned completely gray. It's like it's you don't age.
1: It's like you don't age, man. Well, I think losing weight always does that, you know? But I think the key is... No matter how terrible sometimes world seems to be, even though statistically world is a better place in terms of number of kids getting killed, uh, giving birth time, uh, malaria, hunger, things that actually better, my curiosity to the world, I still have childlike love for it. Wonder. A, ch- yeah. a childlike sense of wonder. Uh, but there's a big difference, isn't it? Uh, most comedians are childish. That I don't want to be. And, but sometimes I catch myself doing that. Uh, I, I still have problems I need to work on. Anger issues and grudge and uh, tendency to want to have revenge against the people that I don't like. But um, You mean st-
3: being human? Yes. You, s- you still have certain problems being human? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've noticed uh, certain biological needs myself that I am quite irate with by now.
1: But this was a great trip because I, I saw a lot of my friends Got to visit three or four different places I haven't visited very well uh, before. And uh, I I I, uh, I thought about a lot of things that I need to do and, and a lot of things that I regret. I have three more episodes I need to do for my podcast, yoshidenton.com. And um, the second to last episode, I'd like to talk about things that have been annoying me the last four years. But when I look at the things that made me angry the last four years, it's basically the stuff that unresolved issue from when I was a kid I think I never really thought about that way and I didn't want to deal with it but it's surprising you do I you, you can change for both worse and for better but I think this month was really good I really had time to think about those things
3: sounds like uh, you have used your podcast these last four years as a sort of psychoanalysis of yourself and now
1: you seem to be ready to start real
3: psychoanalysis
1: it's like Goodwill hunting, I guess. Remember that scene in the movie where it only took the right person to help you or yeah. help me, you know?
3: It's not your fault. <laughs> yes. It's not your fault, Yoshi.
1: What a fantastic Yoshi, show. Yoshi,
3: it's not your fault.
1: Illegal magazines. Um, I got three more episodes of Yoshi Den podcast. Um, I need to raise $5,000 for illegal magazines um we want to have the issue and
3: where is, is it a kickstarter campaign or
1: a- um i don't know how to do any of that so i have to figure out how to do that or have people at the illegal magazine in denmark figure that out we got to raise the money around five grand would be enough to print maybe between five to ten thousand it depends on how much they charge in the states but five I, I, the magic number is five but i think we need seven grand just to be safe but um, once we have the issue in San Francisco, then I can turn around and go to major podcasts, show tangible, tangible evidence of something. Actually, we have a product to promote because I'm not, I'm not going to make any money on it. I lose money because I don't get money and I'm spending my time doing it. But that's what I want to do. So we want to get the magazine. Then we will start hopefully filming and promoting ideas and uh, have an honest conversation about that. And we also want to have conversation people who hate drugs, don't want to illegalize it, and I don't want to just point a finger because we want to understand where they're coming from too, you know because they could very well have a good point and, and uh, decent Americans. sometimes good people don't agree on a solution, so but I think it's a good to have a conversation, and um, I want to do more stand- up other people's podcasts. I would like to travel more, and um, I, I think that that's. Well, du är. Du är med podcast nu. So. Yeah.
3: Tack för att ni har lyssnat på den här veckans avsnitt av dekonstruktiv kritik. Om ni vill att jag ska kunna fortsätta med den här podcasten, får ni gärna gå in på dekonstruktiv kritik på Patreon och rösta med plånboken. Så kommer snart ytterligare ett avsnitt att uppenbara sig hela poddspelare. Mig kan ni se live på måndagar på TS Kaos. Det är TS Knas nyaste uppklubb som huserar i Skala Teaterns källare vid Norra Bantorget. Där kommer ni finna mig de flesta måndagkvällar under våren då jag desperat kommer att försöka få ihop 20 nya minuter till Sämsturnén i april då jag, Ahmed Beran, Branne Pavlovic och Jonathan Unge kommer att dra land och rike runt för att tvångsmata er med humor så att ni blir stora, starka och roade. Första datum är i Göteborg den sista mars Och i Malmö den 2 april biljetter finns på Billetto. Gå i frid till nästa vecka.